Welcome to another episode of The Best in Tech. Today's episode, we are talking to traffic host come Greek geek about insane traffic and his favorite technology. My name is Rechot. You're listening to The Best in Tech. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to another episode of The Best in Tech. I'm sitting here with Aki Anastasio. How are you doing, Aki? Rekord, it's really nice to see you. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, man. Yeah. Very good. Thank you for coming on the podcast and no, talking some cool tech today. It's welcome. I was trying to think as you were talking there, how long you and I have been you know, covering the tech scene. Sure. It's been, been a long time. Eh? Been a long I mean, time. Uh, just trying to think how far back we go. You know? Two thousand, Early 2000s, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I vividly remember that uh, trip to Greece, to Island of Kos. Do you remember oh that? Oh, my word, with, yes, uh, with HP. HP, yeah. Remember, they were showing off these massive printers that uh, they weren't even 3D printers. They were just pr- printing large sheets of, of color in, in a poster yeah, size. Yeah. You know? oh, man, it was and uh, you think about that, and they were talking about the, how detailed their color printers were. And just look at where we are today. It's quite astonishing. And now, yeah, now home printing isn't really a thing anymore. You go to a big, large printing facility to get those prints. Right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can still buy printers, but do you, who really invest in printers? No, days? no, not at all. I think people, I mean, offices and that sort of thing. I look at our office, for example. We still use a lot of uh, paper and, you know, people still like to have that hard copy. But you're mm, quite right, mm. you know. And, and the, the notion of the, the digital paperless office, uh, I don't know if that it doesn't, it doesn't apply. No, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, it's, yeah, yeah. We're using as much paper now, I'm sure, as we used, say, 10 years ago. And, and especially with all these regulations, you need physical copies these days. No, exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. But we, we, we digress. We're not really talking about printing. Printing is outdated tech, yes. in my opinion. So 2010. You know. But you've kind of made your, you've made your name on radio as the traffic guy. I mean, yes. Most people in Joburg uh, know you on 702 in the morning shows. Now you're on the afternoon show. And I've always been fascinated about you, the way that you guys report on, on, on traffic and kind of the technology that goes in behind it. Would you mind telling me a little bit about the kind of stuff you use and how you, what goes into getting no, people the traffic information? Absolutely. You know, I mean, record for, for 20 years when I started my career, we used to fly in a helicopter and we used to be collected, co- connected with HF radios and reporting from the sky. It used to go, you know, the radio used to transmit from one transmitter to another and it used to, we used to have repeaters across the city so we could get the, the, the signal back to the station. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's how we were transmitting. So we would fly over an area and say, oh, the helicopter at the moment, this is the traffic up here. Um, and then in the, in, the, in the helicopter itself, we had different radios. We had the radios from uh, different traffic departments. We used to fly with the traffic officer. And they would, you know, phone, not phone, but they would press. The, we didn't even have cell phones in those days. They would radio the different traffic departments on the ground saying, Bravo 10, Bravo 10, do you have any, any problems to report? And then everything was... You know, the communication was done via radio networks in those days. And then, of course, when cell phones came out, um, you know, we had a long, hard look at this helicopter that was costing us thousands and thousands of rands, even though we owned it. Uh, every m- day. You guys we went to fly every morning. Two and a half hours morning, two and a half hours in the afternoons, three hours sometimes. Must have been fantastic as a job, though. Oh, man. <laughs> I, it's just like it's the best thing ever. You know, people used to tell me, you're not scared to fly in the helicopter. And is the, you know what amazes me is that that Bell Jet Ranger helicopter that we used in those days is the same helicopter that used the same design for like 30 years, the, that same helicopter. If you look at a 747 aircraft, yeah, you know, yeah. they came out in the late 60s. 
and they lasted for decades. The same, you know, shape and the same kind of technology. Look, they improved on the avionics and they improved on mm. things mm. like the engines and that sort of thing. But the actual shape and the the core structure of the of the aircraft was the same. Yeah. And um, and and you know, I'll, I'll never forget the year it was when the dollar went to fourteen rand or something, and I had to review my yearly budgets. And I went to the board and I said, look. This is how much I need for the next year because every five thousand hours you'd have to replace the blades of the helicopter. Oh yeah, that's big. Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was it would have cost us thirty five thousand dollars per blade to replace. So I had to go to the board and I said, "Listen, I need an extra million and a half, you know, for the, you know, we have to bring these in from the states, rand dollar exchange rate." They said, "Sorry, we're making this tool a redundant tool," and and it was at a time where cell phones were starting to grow. And we were now starting to use cell phone technology. So it was interesting. The more mobile people became, we had mm. a call center in the old days where people used to phone in and say, hey, I've just come past this accident. Here it is. And it's evolved even more since then. So now on the traffic desk, we typically have, you know, like four, four computer screens. We're monitoring, um, you know. With real-time feeds, obviously, camera feeds and that type yeah, of thing, right? So we've got the Sandroll feeds. Yes, They've yes. got cameras all over the place. There's, there's a public version of that, too. I think that there you is. can access it. Yeah, I had yeah. a link somewhere. That's very interesting to see as well. Yes, yes. No, there's, and there's so much data available. There's a lot of companies that are using analytics to calculate uh, delay times from one point to another. And, of course, everyone has a cell phone, so Google is collecting all of that data. Yeah, They're yeah. overlaying that on live traffic feeds with heat maps, for example. You got uh, you know people like Waze, for example, mm -hmm. who do fantastic mm -hmm. stuff, which is more a social uh, kind of thing. And Google, of course, owns Waze as well. So you know you, you you've got access to all of this data. You've got access to WhatsApp, mm -hmm. which is now you know. So so w what we've had to do is whenever new technologies come out, we've had to like bring them in. Um, and what what we essentially do is, if you can imagine these fruits, I call the fruits the different sources of information. They come as like an orange or an apple, and what we have to do is we have to put them all into one blender, make a smoothie, which we serve to the listeners. That tastes good. Um, so you've got to make sense of all the data because there's so much data out there. And um, Nice little breakfast smoothie first thing in the morning. Yeah, like exactly, that. or an afternoon smoothie. <laughs> so there's tons of information that comes in. And remember, we're also using a lot of older technologies like SMS. People still SMS mm, us. Sure, People sure. are sending us WhatsApp. People so it's are a lot of crowd, crowdsource versus you guys going out tweets, and just and yes. seeing what's happening out there. Yeah, and, and you know, the great thing about where the modern world is going with the technology is that the technology is a lot more accurate than what it was when we were flying. Yeah, and you could see a lot more in, in a single glance than you yes. could do with one single chopper flying around. Exactly. However, however, the one thing that I still uh, cannot do accurately enough, you know, with, with analog versus digital, and I use this for people, and I tell them that when you're sitting on top of the Eiffel Tower and you're looking around and you're looking at Paris and you can smell the croissants, the digital side of social media and the way we gather information right now doesn't give us that same sense yeah. of reality. Um, but, you know, listeners are sending us pictures. People are responding a lot quicker. Mm, uh, yeah. So you, you, you do have a different kind of information, and in, 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 in some senses it is a bit more richer. But the authenticity of it is uh, sometimes questionable because you've got a lot of people who don't give you accurate information, sure, you see. Sure. So if you can't see it yourself, but you start picking up those trends on those heat maps and, and that's where you really get, get a real sense of where traffic is going. And I'll tell you a funny yeah, yeah. story. You know, you talk about those heat maps and I always use it. You know, if you, if you um, look at the uh, cradle on the weekend, mm. right, Saturday, oh, Sundays, yes, yes. it's just one red 
red loop around that whole area. On the Strava heat map, uh, yeah. On the Strava, no, on the Google one oh, as the well. Google Earth. On the Google oh, one as well. Oh. And because Strava's using Google Maps, if I'm not mistaken. But it's all cyclists and runners. Mm. And you're thinking, and you know, that's the interesting thing. Google cannot distinguish between yes, a cyclist yes. and a motorist. So it's overlaying that data on the map and showing that as traffic data. And everybody's avoiding that error because they think it's a massive traffic jam. But it's right? actually cyclists <laughs> using and tracking their times. Yeah, I suppose there is, there is definitely always room for technology to improve. Yeah. But, but, but what I'm most excited about is satellites. I think, you know, we, we mm. talk about tech, everyday tech all the time. But personal satellites to a degree or satellites that a company like 702's traffic department could send up have it hovering over Earth and every day being able to see those live maps. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it might not be financially viable, but you'll have a company offering such a service. I mean, have you guys experimented with that satellite imagery before? No, I actually haven't. Uh, I haven't, Rechard, but, you know, it does make a lot of sense. You know, if you, look at, if you look at the cost of satellites today compared to what they were, say, you know, 10 years ago, two decades ago, you know, you couldn't afford them. Mm-hmm. But now I think, you know, reasonable-sized companies can afford to send satellites into the orbit and use them, and you know their lifespan is pretty decent. Mm, mm. Um, so you know it, it, it's an option, but I think that when you start talking to accountants and telling them I want this and I want that, then they're going to say it's probably not feasible. But I think if a, as as a whole, if the um, you know if the country as a whole took you know I don't know the National Roads Agency took out a satellite to monitor traffic and that sort of thing, they would do that. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah, yeah. A- and they would have to, you know, because. We, we're entering an interesting era with cars and self-driving cars and all these kind of things that you've got to look at, question the, the current infrastructures that we have mm-hmm. and all the planned roads that you know, local government has, has got coming up. I know they're planning another PWV road, but you look at the Galilis Interchange, which is possibly one of the biggest interchanges in the Southern Hemisphere. It handles 300,000 cars a day. Wow. Yeah. So how much longer can that interchange handle that kind of volume? Mm-hmm. When you look at the numbers of people moving to urban areas, you know, so traffic congestion is becoming a real problem and there's not much space to put more roads. No, definitely. I mean, and self-driving cars, that was a very nice segue into the next segment, actually. I mean, we've, there's been a lot of news recently about uh, self-driving cars, especially the accident uh, where somebody was killed. Yes. Um, the first death um, with an automatic vehicle. I mean, what is your opinion on, on self-driving? Because obviously the technology is fantastic, um, but there are still some shortcomings. Look, there, there are, but, you know, the reality with self-driving cars is that they're here to stay. And, yeah. and I think that we mustn't let an incident like the one that happened, and I've actually seen the video. Have you seen the video? Yeah, of it? It's I actually have. quite eerie. It's um, very eye-opening. And, yeah, yeah. Eerie. So, so there was obviously some kind of failure with, with hardware or a sensor, and I think it's an industry where they're learning things every day. But if it was a real driver that was driving, would they have prevented that is the question. Um, how, how many deaths are self-driving cars currently preventing? Because if you look at the data, the reality is that it's still far safer self-driving cars than human cars. And I, I find it quite interesting when you look at uh, you know states like Arizona, for example, mm. where previously they had um, you had to have a driver behind the wheel as a safety precaution. Now you don't have to have that. The, rule, yeah, the law's yeah. been lifted. So these, they're taking it seriously. No, absolutely. There, there, there's no doubt about it that, that self-autonomous driving vehicles 
are going to be going mainstream and they're going to be part of our lives whether we like it or not and i'm i'm very happy for that technology and and it's interesting how much money people are putting into this you know you look at toyota's budget in that they've they've set up a specific unit in san francisco with a budget of three billion dollars you know to try and find and you know put money in autonomous driving and and I think that everybody that is has got any kind of relationship in this industry is involved. You know, even companies like oh, yes. Bosch in Germany, that you know people have heard Bosch, they think they do drills, but actually they're, <laughs> they're heavily involved they're very in involved self-driving cars. Yeah. And you look at the you know the chip manufacturers like Nvidia, for example, and the technologies that are going behind that. So I'm very excited. And when I was at CES earlier this year, it was quite amazing to see the partnership between Lyft. Uh, BMW and Aptiv, I think. Uh, Aptiv is one of the companies that does the software for self-driving cars. Um, Aptiv. And they had about, you know, a fleet of about 36 cars with BMW and and um, and uh, and Lyft, which is Uber's competitor in America. And you could literally call up your ride from the convention center, and they had 20 preset destinations that this nice, car would take nice. you to. So they had drivers behind, but they weren't driving. It was all self-driving. So the technology is there. It's it's there. It's ready to be turned on. And I think it's the the human paradigm shift that mm. has to happen to say, okay, I trust this technology. And yes. once that trust happens, I think it's it's going to be the game changer. Yeah, the technology is beyond amazing. It's and there. And technically, if if you look at, I mean, any technology that we've that we as a civilization has developed, within that framework, we can see that self-driving cars would be a perfect way of for people to get around but we have variables that i think is kind of the challenge now yes in south africa pedestrians is going to be a huge challenge oh yes the cars need to obviously be able to respond much quicker because but i mean i've been kind of keeping an eye on pedestrian movements when they walk over walk over on a red light uh, you know when the little man is green for them or red for them Correct. a lot of people ignore all of those things yeah um and once we can get to a point where our technology would be able to kind of preempt these things obviously with the right lidars or radar technology yes. it would be able to then see somebody moving see the intent because they're moving at a certain speed in a direction that could collide with your car's path that calculation could happen quickly car slows down accident averted and you know i think the the differentiator for that kind of thing is going to be 5g because mm. of the latency and the mm. speeds that the technology is going to react to each other. A guy was explaining to me the difference between 4G and 5G in terms of autonomous driving. He's saying that when a vehicle's reaction time on 4G, it's literally um, you know, a few hundredths of a millisecond difference between the two technologies. But that short space and latency of 5G is, is quick enough for the car to have that command quicker to be able to apply brakes to avoid yes, knocking a pedestrian yes, or yes. something down. So 5G is, a, is the critical component in this technology for it to happen. For sure. And, and I also think the backhaul between a lot of these vehicles, I think that is probably one of the most important parts of any autonomous vehicle industry. Is these cars need to talk to each other. If a car, five cars Correct. up ahead see something, all the other cars need to get that information very quickly to say that there's a hazard, there's a pothole, yeah. or whatever that may be. And then eventually we'll we'll get to a place where the roads are a very safe place to be because no humans doubt. aren't in charge of the big machinery that, that could kill people. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you hit on a very good point there when you said that when they start talking to each other. And it's so important for these technologies to talk to each other. Yeah. I was reading yeah. a fascinating article the other day, you know, coming back to the traffic stuff we were talking about. And they were saying that all of these traffic app platforms are slowly kind of defeating the purpose of sorting our, our, our traffic situation out because they're not all necessarily talking to each other, but they're suggesting different routes. 
and they're suggesting different routes based on data. So if there's an accident on the highway, it will send you along back routes. Now the back routes are becoming a problem Congested, yeah, because yeah. Um, you know the other apps don't know. Hey, this you know Google Maps has told us to come here, but you know um, Apple Maps is telling us to come here as well. But mm. Apple and Google Maps don't necessarily talk to each so other. They're creating, and share their more data. Congestion they're creating more congestion. That's interesting and confusion. That is very interesting. Look, I think the AI behind this too. That now now we're talking about another fact in all of this. Yeah. We need the machine learning behind this to go. Okay dissect the information, whether it's autonomous vehicles or just mapping. You know, here's the data, I'm kind of analyzing it, 0.5 yeah. seconds later, it's got a solution to this problem that it needs to figure out, and then direct people whichever way that needs to be. But you know, the one thing that blows me away with these uh, self-driving cars is those radars and those sensors that are on top, that are reading every bit of information as as this car is in motion. It's picking up Rayhot walking across there, that cyclist, and kind of trying to put in some predictive analytics as Creating to who's a map going to do see, what, yeah, its yeah. own map. I mean, that, that for me just blows me away. And just to think, what's it, when, when we first met uh, almost 20 years ago now, the technology we were dealing with seemed so futuristic. I mean, cell phones was not yeah, smart. Absolutely. Cell phones weren't smartphones, but they were fantastic. I mean, text messaging, snake on your Nokia, it was incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, even the game technology back then, I mean, we had relatively mundane graphics cards in comparison to what we have today, but we were very happy with it. We were very happy with this growth in technology we were seeing every year. Absolutely, absolutely. And look at where we are now. And, now and, we can and, and now we complain about uh, you know the speeds um, on, on the internet and how slow things can get, but we forget those dial-up modems that we had and those yeah. card modems. Do you ever want to have oh, one yes. of those? PCMCIA. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. slide in. I think we got, what, what was it, 14.4? 14.4, yeah. I, had a, I think I had a 56K one. I had a 9600. Yeah, the One of the initial, initial ones. Um, it was crazy. And now we, I mean, this is my favorite thing to reminisce about, but fiber. You got fiber, right? Yes. Oh. It is. It was a complete life changer for me. I mean, as soon as, I, I always knew tech, uh, bandwidth is what I desperately needed. I mean, as any geek yes. does. But as soon as you have... 50, 100, a gigabit download speeds capability into your house. I mean, it changes so much what you can do and how you consume data. Do you know, I, I went, I, I, I had a, such a massive jump. Eh? So I went from a 10 meg ADSL line and I went straight into 200, up 200 down. I thought, oh, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy it. Okay. And, and people said, oh, you're crazy. You're not going to need that much speed, you know. Um, you can always do with more speed. You can always do with more speed. I just I love it because it's there, you yeah, know. Exactly. And, it, and and it's like uh, a sports car. It's it's like a sports when you when you when you push on the throttle, it's going to go. Exactly, and it's just wonderful to play that uh, the instantaneousness of it. It's really a game changer. It is. And I also think that you know it's important to be with the right ISP so that you don't have um, you know too many users on on the same line, oh, um, mm. you know, in the same network, and, and the contention ratios yeah, are yeah. important. Latency. Fortunately, is important. with fiber, it's less of an issue than with copper, because obviously fiber, you can. There's so much capacity in the lines that you can play with. The company shouldn't really be throttling and, and doing that kind of thing. That's why you need to look out for the yeah, right company. But but you need to look. You know, it's quite interesting. We we should do a show on fiber itself because you know a lot of these complexes are now signing contracts with companies to put the fiber into the complex, right? And then they tie it bound to it. And then they bound to it, and then they offer them, you know, like crappy speeds or um, it's not a GPON network or, you know, whatever the, the terminologies that they basically use. basically off the, the communities. But, you know, I firmly believe when you look at, you know, companies like Vumatel, for example, yeah. uh, Metro Fiber, to a degree, I think, provide a, a good service as well. But you've got to be very careful uh, as a complex who you sign your, 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 very good your, point. Your, your, your deal with. Ask them questions. And most people don't know these things. 
and also your service provider. I hear so many variants and complaints about different service providers. Uh, but I must say, you know, I've been very, Who very you happy. Who are you using? Are you using cool, cool, I- no, cool, uh, cool ideas. Okay. I've got them in my business and I've got them in at home now. Just, they're just amazing. And their support is amazing as well. Yeah, a lot of good things. I'm, I'm a big fan of Celsi. Because I, I had a package when I signed up for my first fiber installation right. that included everything. And the deal was good. And, and my strategy at the beginning also was Celsi's a new player. They probably wouldn't have as many guys. So yes. I would get good service. And it's a... Best thing I've done because I'm still having still get incredibly good service from them. Absolutely. I've got two fiber lines um, that I'm using on two premises, and I mean just dealing with them is fantastic. Not that I actually have to deal with them because everything. Yeah, is yeah, yeah. My speeds are always consistent. That's I, great. As a geek, I always test. I always check because I want to. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, you know, I, like you said, you must check out who your f- provider is. But I guess you know between Cool Ideas and Celsi, those are two good solid yeah. options. I right hear there. good words about them. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I'm very happy. I, I'm actually. I'm testing a one gig line at the moment because I'm. I saw your tweet. <laughs> uh, no, I saw your. It was I'm testing. I'm testing Dude, a, a how is that? XR500 router. This router is about five grand. It's a gaming router with a Dumo OS, so it's a proper operating system on this router. I mean, it looks like a massive. It's yeah. the size of my MacBook 15-inch keyboard section. It's it's big, but yeah, having a gig. Uh, my mind is blown. I mean, there's a lot of things that it doesn't really matter whether you have a big connection or not mm. like most things won't make a difference with either 200 or 1 gig but it comes uh, it comes down to multiple users on that line and yes. then also if you if you are connecting to really fast game servers for example I downloaded a Battlefield 1 64 gigabyte complete game installation with yep. all the patches I think it took me less than an hour to do that. That's amazing. It's I like didn't a, time it because it's I, astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> blow, blows my mind. I wanted to time it, and it was done when I got back to my PC less than an hour. I mean, obviously, it was pulling from a very fast game server, probably local. Yeah. That's really what you want. But, you know, Rekhard, you talk about the speeds. You know, even from an entertainment point of view, you talk about gaming. Last night, I was testing a, a Apple 4K uh, Apple TV, and I've got a you know 4K LG panel, and I... The, I watched the movie, and I just pressed the button. It just instantly started. Yeah, and and a four K movie must be pulling about what, four gigs of data yeah, in an probably. hour quite easily, and that picture quality was amazing and instant on demand, no buffering. I think fiber fiber has given that to us. And now when you get to, I think 50 to 100 meg is a sweet spot for anybody coming into the market. Yes. And at that at that point, granted, you don't uh, if you don't have like 10 people on your home network. Yeah that instantaneous will be fantastic. Beautiful. It will be there. That's I mean, I, I love it. I love it. Yeah, fiber is my favorite thing of the decade. Yes. That is for sure. Now, let's talk a little bit about other technology that you love that, that is your favorite. As a, as a tech reporter as well, I mean, your other, the other hats that you wear is very much a tech geek. You're very yeah. much in, uh, in, in the going on as well as happening outside there. What, what has been some of the highlights that you've seen recently? I mean, we've spoken about autonomous vehicles, and you did mention a little bit of Internet of Things. But what yes. other things do you, have you seen out there that's amazing? Well, well you know what? I, I, uh, you know, just to touch on the IoT stuff, I, I love the IoT stuff at the moment. And um, I love the flexibility that it gives me. You know, in my home at the moment, I've got my air conditioner connected. I've got um, a, a sensor in my geezer that I can control the temperature and 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 you know the, these are like real practical examples and I'm I'm going to show you uh, a picture of it because I know we you know we can't show the viewers but I use this product called Carbon Track and with Carbon Track I've put a couple of lights on but if I look at my geyser appliance it's currently off and it only is scheduled to go on between four and half past five every day. That is very cool. Um, so this is something that sits in line. It just sits on your geyser. Yes. 
exactly. And and through that, I can control the temperature of the geyser. Um, I can get uh, insights. What, what product is this? Where can one? This looks pretty incredible. No, it's 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 very cool. Um, and then and then it gives me a monthly. Um, a monthly, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, a monthly analysis. breakdown analysis of how much how much uh, electricity my geezers used, etc. And that it's it's cool. a product called Carbon Track, and um, you know it it works it works Where really really well. Where do you really get well. the sensors? I mean, it's Carbon Track. Do you they find they them come in and Africa? install it. They oh, they, wow. they you'll find them in the um, you'll find them in the uh, you know on, on the Google, they, on they, the Google they're interwebs. online they're online. You find them at Builders Warehouse and these kind of places. Oh, so, so it's a pretty consumer grade technology. Very much so. And this oh, is what fantastic. I love about the Internet of Things. And then I've got another little device that I love telling people about. It's called a Netatmo. Have you heard of Netatmo? Mm-mm. It's a fantastic company. So Netatmo is um, they use like the weather stations they do the internet of things oh, pretty yes, well so i've yes. got a sensor in my house that picks up co2 emissions picks up any change in temperature noise for example and there's another station that's outside as well that tells me the outside temperature there's also a rain gauge that i've put in and and this rain gauge um, you know gives me reports every single hour when there is rain you know so if you look at last week for example where we had the heavy rains across Gauteng oh, there we go there there, it th- that's all the rain there look and that goes that. hour by hour and how oh, does it catch it? Does it catch the water or does no, it just it's measure a, it? No, no, it's a, it's, a, it's a clever little thing. It sits in your patio and I've put it against the wall and inside it's got a sensor so as soon as it gets to a certain volume you hear it click and then it cl- starts collecting again until it reaches a certain... Oh, so it uh, measures the amount of measures, water yeah, per, per time. Yeah. Per time. And it obviously measures the mills as it, as it goes through and then, and then it sends it to the other device, the mothership inside the house and then on my smartphone I can be anywhere in the world and awesome. I can see you know, there's been rain. And that stuff, I just love that stuff. Yeah, you know, me too. It gives Big you such amazing insights into your home and, and, and that that we didn't have before. Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, one of the other things I like, uh, there's two things that really fascinate me. There's, there's a security side of things too, obviously with uh, you know, full-on alarm kind of things that you can connect. I'm not yeah. talking about the, 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 the stuff that's connected to your security company. I'm talking about the stuff that you can access. And then also the video cameras. I've, I found that those two things for me is kind of the first place a lot of people are going to jump on board with the IoT. Uh, you know, yeah. get in-home security, um, maybe check what's in your fridge, but cameras and security is, is a big thing. But, you know, you talk, about, you talk about the security. I bought this fascinating little gadget from Amazon um, um, about, uh, about three, four years ago. Now, I've had the traditional security that, you know, you put in your alarm system, you put in your code and it goes beep, 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 and you yeah. leave your house, right? So you take this module... And you, you just plug it in. There's videos on YouTube. You literally connect a couple of cables together and it's got a Wi-Fi sensor on it and it talks to my network. So from my phone, I can take my old traditional alarm system and I can activate it and deactivate it from here. That's cool. So it uses those old IO ports on the Correct. on the alarm Correct. box and that you can yeah. that's cool. So you can retrofit any old or most exactly. old alarm boxes. Exactly. That is very cool. Yeah. So you can do a lot of stuff with IoT. I think yeah, that's that's kind of also the thing, right? You want your IoT to be able to integrate with existing technology. Because we're not there where everybody can just go out and buy a new tech and then yes. You know, yes. the house is connected. What is your thoughts on VR? Have you played with have you played oh, with uh, the HTC Vive at all? I have played with the Vive, and um, VR for me, you know, we talk about our careers and how long we've been. If I had to analyze the top 10 wow things that have happened in technology, VR is right up there with a wow technology. And and how I measure a wow technology is the reaction that you get from people. I remember the first iPad 
that was came into the country. I had the first iPad. I waited for this guy. It was, it was an amazing story. I was on the radio on the weekend, and it was opening in New York, and I got a call from a guy who was standing in the queue, a South African guy, who went there specifically to get an iPad. And he literally flew to New York, and he was going to fly back. So we got him <laughs> on the radio, and I said, please get me one as well. So he got me one as well. And, you know, that's how I got the first. But with, re- with VR, whichever generation you try the glasses on, it's that wow experience for anybody. I've tried it on my mom, who's 70, mm. or my dad, who's 77. Anybody that you put those glasses on, as basic as they are, and I'm talking yeah. about the Samsung ones, you know, oh, the, yeah, the cardboard ones. type. Yeah. I mean, even and that even is the incredible. Cardboard ones. Yeah. When people go and they go, oh, wow, it's so real. The reactions that people have is quite astonishing to a technology. Mm. So when you start playing with the high-end stuff, like the, the, the one you've just spoken about, the, the Vive, um, and, and, you know, the other ones that are out there, you know, the Microsoft um, lenses as well, you can understand how big this technology has potential to become. And yet, we all get a sense that a lot of people think that, you know, it's going to be a technology that's not going to last too long. But when you look at uh, the amount of money that Facebook is plowing into this and the big companies that are plowing into it, you can understand there's going to be a tipping point where oh, yeah. VR is very much part of our lives, especially in the gaming industry. Right? Oh, yeah. Gaming, gaming generally pushes the stuff on tech. I mean, if you look yeah. at processing power, graphics card power, uh, peripherals, gaming seems to be the place where people kind of experiment with the technology yes. because they can push it and the gamers are, you know, they, they're pretty brutal in their, in, their, in their honesty about certain tech. Yeah. But VR is, is one of those things that I think it's, it's going to change the way we do so many things on a human level, like yes. connect, connection is one thing, but I mean, look at how surgeons can use it to do remote operations. Yes. Um, you can use it to help people with uh, mental disorders. I've read a lot of interesting papers on that or, or people that have fears of certain things. 100%. Uh, we, again, we are in a, an incredible space and time. Yeah, we are. And, and, and I think that, you, you know, you look at the numbers, you look at VR, uh, VR is very much the kind of entertainment side of it. Mm, mm. But, AR is the one that's going to be the, the, the game changer yes. that you were just referring to a second ago. You know, I mean, I saw, I saw another application for augmented reality where they had, they put on these, the, the, the goggles on, I think that they were using the Microsoft uh, HoloLens one. Yeah, that's a great product. Yeah. It's a fantastic product. And this guy had access to an entire server room, right? So you think of your IT manager, you've got your servers in the cloud. So they have a visual of all these servers and you can physically go up to each server with your hands using these glasses and the sensors and start adjusting the servers, turning a server down, increasing the capacity of one server. Mm. So the applications are endless. You know, I saw another one which, and I tried this out. Um, where was it? I think it was at an Audi conference. Yeah. So you put these glasses on, okay, and and it was in a factory and they had like little red lines. So you used, it was a learning thing to show me as a factory worker on how to pack specific boxes. So it was an educational thing. And and you literally had to go through the different steps. Say, lift this package and you can lift it up, you know, uh, virtually and put it in another box, uh, adjust that computer. And it was just worked perfectly. And I learned how, uh, you know, processing automation plant worked by just using these goggles just for a few minutes. but So the, the, the possibilities are endless, right? Yeah, I absolutely love it. And I love that technology. I absolutely love it. Have, uh, are you looking forward to Ready Player One coming out soon, the movie? Because that is going to be 
That's going to put everybody on the AR VR map. Yes, yes, yes. I think so. And 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 you're going to get lots of other. Um, I think it's going to open the door for a lot more to come. Oh yeah. And once oh, yeah. that happens, you know, it, it, you know, people say that you know AR and VR is going to go the same route that 3D did. And I don't think no, so. No, it's a no. completely different. This is a completely different piece. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if I've spent a lot of hours uh, with uh, HTC Vive on my head, trying to just kind of trying to immerse myself completely in this. And yes, some of the technologies and some of the video is still a little bit, you know, still a little bit entry level. Yes. But once you've played with it and once you've kind of pushed these things to its boundaries and just, just experience it for what it is, yeah. you, you can kind of appreciate all these, all these uh, applications for it. Would you uh, say that HTC is the, the the Vive is the leader in this in this market? I would t- well, it's uh, it's in my opinion, it's one of the best ones. Yes. I, I've, I haven't played as much. I haven't spent as much time with the others. But Hololens to me is probably better in the sense that you can have both. You can have AR and VR yeah. overlay with a, with a, with the HTC Vive. I haven't seen the new one yet, but with HTC Vive, it's kind of more about the VR. Yeah. Although I do think the HTC Vive Pro coming out this year. I mean, it's got the cameras in front, so I think there would be an application that will allow you to get the overlay. Mm. Although you're not physically, you're still looking through lenses, so there will still be a little bit of a digital yeah. element where the, the hollow lenses you're physically seeing. And you know, the you price see. point's coming down, you know, and um, you know, like the, one of the pioneers in the market, Oculus. You know, not oh, many yes. people talk about Oculus it's anymore, but one, yeah. they're still doing a lot of stuff. And, and they've got some pretty funky glasses now, which no, look they like do. sunglasses. I yes. Mean, they're not, not as big as the other guys. And I see like even guys like Intel are dabbling with, with similar kind of technologies, although it's a different virtual version of virtual reality. You know, when you look at Google Glass, for example, it was very much ahead of its time at the time and not practical in the sense that the battery life wasn't great and what it could do. But um, I was looking at Intel's new prototype that they're launching that you can see, you know, certain things in the glasses and how they've adjusted it with our human behavior to do different things where you tilt mm-hmm. your head and that sort of thing. So they've thought about a lot of these kind of things and I'm sure that you're going to see lots of different applications okay. coming out. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and I'm not joking when I say this, but once we get to a point where you can implant that kind of thing in your eye, yeah, yeah. to me that I, I would be looking forward to that very much. As yes. somebody that wears glasses, um, you know, not only to improve eyesight potentially, but to have that digital layer over your over everything you see, I think it could be scary and pretty fantastic if you can connect to the internet at the same time. But you know, now you're talking about, you know, you're talking about a different realm, which, which, which really fascinates me. You, know, you talk about the singularity and, and, and how far are we from actually using these implantable technologies to improve our human intelligence? And you, you look at this, the stuff that guys talk about, um, and you know, you think, oh, it's so sci-fi. You know, it's not going to happen. It's the stuff we see in movies. Doesn't it amaze you that the stuff we saw in movies like 15 years ago was like, oh wow, this stuff's never going to happen, and and it's real. It's now. It's happening now. That stuff now yeah. So when these guys say to you like 2035, 2040 is when the singularity is going to happen, where you're going to have machines um, like embedded in us and assisting us with our everyday intelligence. Dude, that's like in our lifetime. It's mm. like 15 years away. It's like 10 years away from happening in reality. And that's for me, is so exciting and so scary at the same time. It is. It is. And, but isn't it fantastic to live in a time where we can see, we remember analog. Yes. And we can see the most advanced tech. You know, we can see the reality of it in our lifetimes. Like yeah, you absolutely. Said, I would, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of future thinking like that. Uh, it just, it, it kind of... It's exciting. And as a geek, as somebody that appreciates the tech, you know, I just want to know how it works. I want to understand the fundamentals. And I just want to. Exactly. 
and you know, I, you know what I watched the other day that I hadn't seen when when I first watched it, it was one of those movies, Tom Cruise Minority Report. Oh yes, all right. When they have all these predictive models of of crime, for example, mm. okay, oh, yeah, and he's putting yeah. the stuff, in. and that's that stuff's happening now, like in the U.S. They're using stats, you know, normal daily stats that that they've, these guys have got coming in to start putting in predictive models on where the next crime is going to happen. It's like already happening, and Scary. it's like it's pretty accurate. Uh, just on the data that you've got, putting it through some sort of intelligence and analytics, you can start predicting patterns mm. and do something about it before it actually happens. And that is the interesting, I, I guess, the other side of things, uh, the other side of data, which. I guess it's both a good and a bad thing. I mean, we're seeing this with Facebook now, but yes. what, you know, having all this data is going to allow us to do so much, but who holds the keys to that data? Now, That's what we've seen challenge. with Facebook is yeah. those guys that have the keys might, well, are they are they innocent and they didn't know what happened, which I don't think so, you know, or are they just selling data to the highest bidder or trying to do so strategically? Well, you know, there's two things to it. I mean, the, the, what the evidence is showing us that uh, the, the data helped change an election and if it gets in the wrong hands it can be used to do bad stuff and you know we don't have to you know look at the russians and all that stuff that has just happened now but then there's a good side of data you know if you're starting to pick up certain trends on what people are talking about measuring anger levels emotion levels and what people are searching on on google for example and you start you know putting the data together and, and you're starting to emerge with a certain picture and you're thinking well has a plot, a terrorism plot, or whatever the case may be, then you can act and do something about it. But again, the data that we have and the technology that can that we're using will manipulate us. You know, I don't know if you watched this Darren Brown uh, documentary. I saw the teaser on Netflix. I, I actually watched it. I actually watched it. And uh, what they did was they took a group of people and they basically um, they used the power of persuasion, mm. okay, and and trying to break down your capacities as a human being to 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 make a specific decision um and you know they they pushed someone to such a, a point where they were capable of of murdering someone pushing someone off a building not to give too much away from it sure. but it's all got to do with human emotion and the reality is that you know if you look at the kind of stuff people post on facebook that you and i know it's a fake story. Mm. Why are you posting it? And yet people are believing in that sort of thing. There are still people that believe that the, the moon landings <laughs> the moon landings were manipulated, yeah, you know? Yeah. So you've got that and that's human nature. And if people can be manipulated and uh, and Facebook are using the data to do this kind of thing, that for me is that's very it scary. It is very scary. But I also think we are in that on that cusp where people people don't know. I mean, there's so much happening with data and people don't know the amount of data that's out there on them being collected. I mean, people well, – if if, if we fast forward, let's say, 10, 15 years and kids are brought up with that instinctive uh, education where don't share this online, don't do this, on, you know, like with a certain set of parameters that we were brought up with just in the real world, you know, we didn't have the internet to, to kind of base that kind of yeah, stuff around. Yeah. We will, I think we'll see a shift, but humanity as a, as a whole, I mean, we're still trying to figure out what, I mean, we know data and big data and all these terms that the companies throw around, but nobody really, well, Facebook, I think this is the first time we've seen something like, whoa, People are going, maybe I should be deleting my Facebook account. Now, that I think could be a bit, bit drastic bit drastic because I, I do see a lot of value in the, the platform and we need to see what's going to happen from this. But, but Facebook's not going to be the same again after no, this. No, no, they're not. Something is going to have to change. But again, it's opening up the debate with people on the ground saying, you know, 
should I be posting photos of my kids or you know all those kind of things yeah. that people you know at least set it to private if you don't want you know the whole world to see. You know what it is, Rachod, is that it, as you correctly said earlier, what is it about us that they know and how are they using it? Um, you know, mm. to sell our information for other purposes. Um, I mean, Facebook's one thing. I mean, did you know you've got a Google account, right? Yeah. Right. Have you ever looked on your Google locations that you've been on? I kind of love that, that about it. I know it's scary. I, 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 love, I love that it. about it. But most people don't know about it. Yeah. They've yeah. got this it's device. It's kind of hidden, yeah. But Google knows where you've been to every single day. It's tracking you. When, you, when your phone goes with you, it knows that Rayhod went to this place at this time. From there, you drove to that place. Yeah. Most people don't know about it. But Google knows Google your knows. movements. It knows all those Google things knows you do and, yeah. and I wouldn't be surprised. And I was reading about this Facebook uh, you know, hack and, and breach that you're talking about. Um, but the other stuff that Facebook has actual access to on your phone. Now, you're thinking that Facebook, it's an app that you open up and you, you basically just, you know, posting some pictures but facebook's got access to your phones mm. got access to the calls that you've made access to your sms's and uh, according to the guardian even access to your emails that is scary so how much are you signing away when you click that how uh, much are you signing button? away exactly and and uh, somebody argued the other day i was talking to a colleague of mine and they're saying but why do you want to bear what's your problem with this whole facebook thing I said, I'm angry that the trust has been broken. But what are you paying for Facebook? I'm not paying anything. What are you getting out of it? Well, you're getting connectivity. There's some other great uses that we get out of Facebook. Um, the marketing side of things, um, the platform that it raises for people to engage with each other. Um, and we, we forget about those things. And those are great things about Facebook. Mm. But I'm still angry that I've been lied to as a, as a consumer of Facebooks. But what right do we have to be angry about it when we're not paying for the service? We're using their platform, yeah. I mean, their terms and conditions are very long if you've, if you've dared to read through it. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that will never make sense to you. I mean, yeah. And that's just Facebook. I mean, all these other end-user license agreements we sign. I mean, there's a very funny South Park episode where Cart, uh, Cartman uh, signs an Apple uh, iTunes, um, uh, he was clicking accept and then a whole bunch of funny, I wouldn't, it's not full podcast material, but it is a hilarious episode with uh, repercussions of what could you do if you don't read your EULA. percent. And I had an angry call over the weekend, you know, mate of mine, I'm sure a lot of your friends phone you with tech stuff and everything. Yeah, yeah. This guy phone, yeah, you know, he was so angry with this Facebook thing, he deleted his Facebook account, everything, you know. So now, this person shall remain unnamed <laughs> has lost access to all sorts of other things that he used Facebook to sign in with. Ouch. So his uh, Spotify account, in. all the games that you play, your poker account mm. that you play. Uh, so the Facebook have been very clever with that. You know, they've made it a nice little conduit that yeah. you use your Facebook credentials to sign into all of these other things. You delete Facebook and you lose contact with all the other stuff as well. That's true. Hey? They, they do hook you like that. They hook you in. You tied in. You look at how many apps are connected to your Facebook account next time. That's why it's, it's scary. Yeah. I, I'll never, I'll never let Facebook do that. Every, every app that I have, every technology that I have. Obviously, the games are slightly different. You're mm -hmm. playing Scrabble mm -hmm. and Friends with Words, but I have a sign-in with my email address. And my own password. I don't let Facebook control that. Now stuff. the question is, when when you do that, and I never thought of this, but are you giving them access to that application too? I mean, would would that yes. you say that they can actually see what kind of music you listen to? Absolutely. Or, you know, all those things. That is scary. No, uh, Facebook. And I use that feature all the time. I like it. I, I think it's great to sign up for a new service. Just press one button. It's very sense. useful. Google does it as well. It's, yeah. No. You see, Google again. I use that all the time. I think. 
as early adopters, we've just we just have to we just have to immerse ourselves in this and and kind of be the fall guys or be the puppets to to test these things. Yeah, here's Sadly. the thing. The reality is, you know, when you you know people, you, 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 there's no you can't hide anywhere in this world. Mm. Privacy is dead. Forget about it. If you want to be private in this world and think that oh, I'm not going to have a phone, I'm not going to have this. You know, what kind of world are you going to be You're shutting yourself in? out from, exactly. from everything. So you have to kind of blend in with it, read the rules, and, and protect yourself as much as you can. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, and embrace the technology. Yeah. Uh, I think it's inevitable that this is going to happen. I mean, just quickly going back to the whole data thing and Facebook. The data is out there. It's going to be out there. Uh, yes, we need to know how to secure this and, and use it properly, but... There can be so much good that comes from this. Yes. So much good uh, if we can manage it properly and not screw each other over. You know, there's an, I forget the name of the website now, but there's a couple of them around that gives you a visualization as soon as you start searching for something, what happens to your information. And even if you do this, you know, even if you open up a simple website like CNN, it'll show you. It goes to this server, it bounces, and then that server asks Facebook who you are. Then Facebook sends that to somebody else. And it's like this spider web of data just from one simple search on CNN that is collecting a lot of information about you, uh, including your location, where you are, picking up a profile of you. Just by a simple search, yeah. they're getting all of that access. Um, and, and how these apps sometimes talk to each other and, and, and share that information to build up a profile of who you are, it's... It, it, it's scary, but again, we it's can't. I don't think we, we can't have one without the other. We can't exactly. have all these cool services without having some sort of data, data underlying, you know, decision making. You it's see, and, and you know, sorry to interrupt you, but this is where this gets so exciting for me. This is the big data, and you look at the stuff that's happening on the medical front, for example, mm. and um, you look at uh, the kind of stuff that they're working on at MIT and 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 when I was at uh, over in December I always make my annual pilgrimage to to Stanford just to walk around because oh, it's yeah, just must be such a cool place but uh, uh, two years ago we went on this trip I went with a bunch of uh, tech entrepreneurs involved in the medical field and discovery and we had access to the most amazing mind-blowing scientists that were telling us about the stuff that they're busy with at the moment. And they were like talking about big data and, and, and you know, you can now put these predictive models, right? When you arrive in a hospital, you arrive in the emergency in the hospital and they start plugging in stuff to give you a heart rate and that sort of thing. That stuff then sends the data through to uh, another server that's got already existing data on your history, your medical history, depending on what trauma you've just suffered and why you're in that particular uh, trauma room. They're able to start predicting, like within days, how long it's going to take before you die. Wow. You know? Just based on your condition, your age, your current heart rate, that this person had sugar level, and if, if that happened, um, you know, this, this is the shock that his system has had, and because of that shock, you know, it's stuff that doctors can't work out. We don't have the human capacity to do that in that space, that, in space mind, of yeah. my, that space of time. So when you've got yeah. the technology uh, starting to say, hey, why don't you guys try this on Rayhard? You might save his life. Then it gets exciting. Then I want to share my data. But... What is, say, discovery or what is the hospital going to do with the data mm. and the doctors that are sharing the data? And who has access to that data? Because we haven't even touched on the medical record side of things. But if it can be used, it's a catch-22 situation. Mm. If it can be used to say they know about Aki, that if he does arrive in the hospital with a certain outcome, 
we know how we can possibly save his life. Because what happens is, AI then has a certain bias to people. Because what happens if that person that's sitting in the emergency room and there are two people that have arrived at the same time. I know that Rehard's funds are running a little bit low in his medical aid. Aki's funds are looking pretty good at the moment. We're going to be guaranteed of our money from Aki's funds. So let's rather save his life first before we save Rehard's life. So when AI starts having certain biases based on what, mm. is, what this current situation is like, then it does get scary for me. And let's not forget that all of this code, all of this AI is written by human beings. Yeah, yeah. I get, yeah, look, I mean, that's and there's a machine con- learning and all sorts of that's things. That's a conversation well. that you can, I think that's an entire episode there, just what, you know, what the machine, the evolution of the machine and the yeah, AI. Yeah. But I think, you know, AI for me is playing a very particular or can play a very particular role in this whole data scenario. AI could be an independent body, 100%. AI could be something that is the gatekeeper to all the data without human intervention or human greed coming in to try and maybe but it's maybe be regulated. Yeah, but I mean, if AI, I guess if AI gets to a point where it'll have to be regulated, I guess, but if AI can make that decisions, those decisions, um, again, gatekeeping the information, not, not, not what to do with the information, that would be another AI bot, I would assume. Yeah. But, you know, it's like, a, it's like an API call. Yeah, uh, yeah. Who, who can get the right data at the right time, not just, not just any um, political party who wants to then push those specific ads. Although, having said that, you can push a lot of ads just using Facebook's ad tools to a lot of demographics already. Exactly. I can only imagine the kind of stuff that they could get into with, with the unrestricted data. Yeah. That is scary stuff. And also, you know, how you manipulate the news. I mean, that's, you know, the, the news manipulates people. Uh, it manipulates the way you think, even in this country. If you read some of the conversations on Facebook and on Twitter, and you think, are you really believing what you've just tweeted about the economy or about mm-hmm. this person, whatever the case may be, where people can influence. Uh, if you repeat things enough times to a human being, you'll start believing it, even though it might not be true. Again, coming back to this Darren Brown episode. Exactly. You, know, you can manipulate. human. The human being is a very soft and fragile thing, and uh, you can get uh. manipulated with anything. And That's I think the one thing that freaks it. me about this, the future and AI and analytics and it freaks me out. We're in for a very, very interesting time. Are you real? Are you not a cyborg? I could be a VR. Yeah, yeah. Well, we wouldn't know, right? Dude, I was watching over the weekend um, one of the big universities have uh, done a robot that mimics, and, and they're getting very close to, you know, human full robots, facial full look, facial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this robot was mimicking the other person's facial expressions like super real, man. He was going like frowning or smiling on. And the, it, the, the motors and the sensors inside this robotic face were mimicking it. Uh, and, and they obviously had the right, you know, the gray hair and the, the human. It looked very, very human. It looked like a real human being. But it was mimicking another person's human emotions. I, I, was, I was like sitting at watching this with my, with my mouth that open. Is, that is, I mean, some, uh, and I think in a closing note for me, in, in that vein too, what is very scary for me is the software version of that where they could now with software, uh, vi- video and audio, you can make anybody say anything because you've got so, now everybody that's in a public space like a politician. Yes. You can re- feed all those rec- recordings of their speeches in and this, this computer program will make them look and say, you know, just like they were talking in one of those uh, press meetings, for well, example. A great example of this timeline that we're talking about is, is uh, Ibo's dog, Sony's Ibo's dog. Oh, yeah. Now, when that dog was first introduced, I think, you know, it, like 20 years ago, mm-hmm. just over 20 years ago, 
um, you know, at the time, it was simply a robotic dog. It had sensors, just going woof, woof, and doing mm-hmm. all sorts of things. And Sony sold thousands of them, okay? And then at some point, 10 years ago, to be exact, I think the dog is about 30 years old, if I'm not mistaken. But wow. 10, year, 10 years ago, they said, okay, we're making the last Ibo. It's not, you know, profitable enough for us. And, and you know, we're not doing these anymore. And they relaunched this dog, this Ibo dog. It's now become another big sensation. They had it at CS. And I was talking to the one Sony executive. I said, but you guys, 10 years ago, you stopped making this dog. And now you're making it again. Why? He says, because the technology has advanced so much that we're able to put in AI and, 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 and software in this dog that brings out so much human emotion and mimics human beings that we didn't have access to that technology. That's how fast technology has jumped in just a decade. We've yeah. got access to the cloud, access to artificial intelligence. And he says that this dog is not just a dog that, that we've pre-programmed to do things. The dog is now learning from you as a human being and adapts to you. So the dog starts knowing what time you're coming home. It's accessing certain of your music libraries. It's, it's, it's almost becoming human-like, but it won't become as human-like as a real dog. We know that. Mm. But it's able to pick up on your emotions and react accordingly just from mm. the artificial intelligence that it's got. Something that Sony didn't have 10 years ago. Hence the reason why they've reintroduced Ibo the dog in the world in 2018. And you can't buy them for the love of money. They're the um, most difficult thing to get. Yeah, uh, and, and you don't, they don't sell them anywhere outside of Japan, I believe. No. but Or China. Where, where, where well, they, they manufacture? Japan. Japan, yeah, Japan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, they, they, I'm sure they're going to roll out more. I mean, the initial batch is gone. But, the, you know, it's a, they, they're, it's, it's a fascinating little toy. Yeah, AI, again, AI electronics making all of this happen. And let's not forget that our brains, what we are, is essentially made up of binaries, bits, atoms, ins and outs. You know, we're not so far from these things if we drill down deep into the most fundamental level of what we really are. I've been told that there's an empty vacuum where my brain is. <laughs> <laughs> well, then there's lots of space for upgrades then. Yes. Well, on that fantastic note, Aki, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us. It was so cool to catch up again, man. Thank you very much. I've learned a lot, and uh, it certainly won't be the last time we do this. And and listen, I'm loving what you're doing with drones at the moment. eh? Thank you. We haven't even spoken about drones, but uh, I love the the drone stuff and the videos that you post. You're really getting the hang of it, you know. uh, Thank you. And I'm just loving the stuff with with drones. I think that's that's another massive market. eh? It's a passion. Yeah, look, I've got a little something for you when we finish cool. this podcast so for you to play with. And yes. then I think once you've got your teeth cut on some drones, let's have another chat and see what your opinion is on them. Okay. Thank you very much, Aki. I really appreciate it. Uh, we'll see you again soon. This is Rehot coming to you from the Best in Tech. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, we come to you every week uh, on the Tech Central podcast network. Until next time. Cheers, cheers. Mm-hmm.